Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, it's good to be here. It's my first time in the pulpit in a long, long time. Um, mostly that's because school was really rough last semester as I finished up, but I'm glad to be back here again. Um, glad to be able to share the word with you this morning. It's, it's a fresh place to be. Um, thankful for the Lord's spirit. Let me, let me ask you this question. When you surf the web, do they call it that these days still? When you're online, when you open up that browser on your phone, most likely, you, if you're like me, I, I usually use Firefox, and Firefox has this feature called the Firefox Pocket. And so it brings up three or four articles right away, all right? And those articles, by and large, have a, one theme, self-improvement. Do you experience the same? It's how to lose weight, how to think more um, clearly, how to use your time more efficiently, seven great habits of, of effective parents. Those sorts of things are the things that, that flood our collective consciousness as individuals and as a people because we are all, for the most part, online. I would, I would submit to you that we are a people that are deluged with the opportunities for advice. And it stresses us out. Because whether you click on that article or not, you're thinking there's something that I am not. There's an area of my life where I need to improve, where I need to grow in. And even if you click on it, how often do you actually do what it advises? That's our society. Um, there's, a, there's a psychologist out in Stanford by the name of Carol Dweck, and she wrote a book called Mindset. And basically, Dweck's theory is that people have different mindsets as they go about life. One is a fixed mindset, and their fixed mindset sees basically a, a deterministic view of the world. I am who I am, and I'm just not going to change. This is just my lot in life. That then impacts how they, or whether they risk, how they face challenges, how they interact with suffering, how they take criticism or don't take criticism. The other possibility is those who have a growth mindset. And people with a growth mindset, they understand that they are changing. Their lives are malleable. There, there is growth that can happen in the human experience. And those people then react to things like challenge and risk and critique differently than someone of a fixed mindset. Well, like I was just talking about, the, the things that are offered to us online are often pushing us towards growth or trying to expose some weakness in us that can be improved. But if we have a fixed mindset, that's all just empty advice. Nothing can actually change. Dweck, in bringing those two mindsets up, she's talking about specifically about intelligence, a fixed view of intelligence, a growth view of intelligence. But how about us? How about our lives? Can people change? Can you, and I'm making this assumption here, can you, as a Christian, continue 
to change? Will you be different in five years than you are today? Spiritual change, but as we're going to see in the text today, it's actually supposed to impact every single aspect of our lives. I would submit that as a Christian, we should be expecting change. We should be relishing the reality that we will change, that there is going to be growth in us. And I'm going to have a little object lesson here. This shows that Christians want to change. Let's see, we have here the disciple's path, the journey. The master's plan for making disciples, church action kit. We have multiply by Francis Chan. We have with, a practical guide to informal mentoring and intentional disciple making by Alvin Reed. We have gospel-centered discipleship by Jonathan K. Dodson. We have discipleship essentials by Greg Ogden. We have transforming discipleship by the same Greg Ogden. We have The Trellis and the Vine by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. We have Insourcing by Randy Pope, bringing discipleship back to the local church. And Rediscovering Discipleship, making Jesus' final words our first words. And these are just from my office. We've been going through our series. Let me pull out my clicker here been going through our series on vision and values, and we see that we have talked about our Trinitarian foundation, God's glory, Christ's gospel, the Spirit's mission. We desire to be a diverse yet unified church, a church in community, a church in and for the city, a compassionate church. Next week, Jorge will be preaching on being a sending church to conclude the series. But today we are talking about being a discipling and equipping church. I would say that discipling and equipping can be summed up in one word, growth. One word, growth. We are a discipling and equipping church because growth is a defining characteristic of the Christian life. Sanctification is about growth. Discipleship is about growth. Being fruitful in all that you do is about growth. It's also a defining characteristic of the corporate church as well, as we're going to see today. So I bring these up here, not in any way to mock the church's desire to disciple, but just to show that the plethora of material on discipleship means that we as Christians, we as the church, do desire to grow. So let me then ask this question as we move into the next part of the sermon. Let me ask this question. Do you desire to grow? When it comes to your spiritual self-assessment, brother and sister, Christian, check your mindset this morning. Are you a fixed mindset or are you of a growth mindset? Do you actually this morning think that this time together, this time in the Holy Word of God, 
can actually change you. Because if you don't have the expectation that this can, it likely won't. I will admit that there are many a Sunday where I sit under the sermon and I walk out unchanged. At least as far as I know. Because see, the beauty of the ministry of the Spirit through His Word is that He does change us, even if we're not actually necessarily understanding what that change is. At the same time, are you ready to grow? Will you hear from God's Word this morning saying, Lord, use your Word in some particularly precise ways in my life to bring about growth, to bring about change. I need your word to me. Let's pray. Lord, as we get into your word this morning, we would pray that you would bring growth to your people. That you would give us the gift of grace, of of a mindset, an expectation for growth. That you would blow up our minds with the the possibility of how you have set forth in your word that Christians and the church do grow. Oh Lord God, we thank you that you are here with us. We do not have to ask you for the presence of your spirit, but at the same time, we do ask that your spirit would work in us, in our hearts. Change us. Give us growth this morning, we ask in your great name. Amen. A discipling and equipping church, this is the main idea for today, is a church that is growing up into Christ. There are a lot of ways that you could define growth. You could say, you could kind of buy into church growth strategies and say, because we have this many people, we are a growing church. And we have this many baptisms every season, so we are a growing church. We have this many people coming to our Sunday school program, so we're a growing church. Well, we just have this many people attending, so we're a growing church. There, there can be different ways of understanding church growth. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about a specific way of growing that a discipling and equipping church is focused on growing up into Christ together. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me? We're going to explore this together. It's on page 977 in the Pew Bibles. Ephesians 4 is going to literally flesh out this idea of growing up into Christ. Because the analogy that Paul uses is the body. We're going to talk this morning about this growing up into Christ together as a growing body, as a healthy body, and as an active body. If you found it, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. 11 through 16. This growing body, it's a church maturing into the fullness of Christ. And chapter 4, 11 through 16, talk about this extraordinary growing up into the fullness of Christ. And I'm going to give you the points here before we read through it, because I, I, I want you to grapple with the, the majesty of what Paul is saying here, okay? 
Look at these points here. This, this, matru- this maturation of the church is incredible and it's inevitable. Number two, this maturation is firm in the gospel. This church speaks the gospel and is fully formed by the gospel. Number three, this church is held together. This church is working together. And this church is loving each other. And finally, I want you to be on the lookout as we read for a necessary piece for a growing body to be a healthy body. Question mark, question mark. I'm not, I'm not going to give you the verse. All right? Look for it. There's a necessary piece here that makes this growing body into a healthy body. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he, that being God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Stop. If you just read past that and didn't make you stop on your own, you got to go back and read it. Maybe even take that one verse and meditate, it, meditate on it all week this week. Consider what Paul is saying. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What Paul is saying here is there will come a time where the church collectively and we individually as part of the church will all attain to the perfect unity of the faith in Christ and the knowledge of the Son of God. There will come a day when our faith will be sight, when our knowledge of Christ will be perfect because we will see him as he is. And what will that be defined as? Mature manhood. And then look at this amazing phrase. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As he's going to say later, Christ is the head of the body, the church. And the church, the image that Paul is is building here for us, is the church is his body, but it's growing up into the body. You know there are babies whose heads don't fit their bodies, right? Like they're cute that way because they're babies, but their heads just don't fit their bodies. We celebrated my nephew Josiah's first birthday yesterday, and now Josiah is well-proportioned. He is a well-proportioned one-year-old. However, Josiah, like other babies, when he was first born, it's kind of got that dome up there on the, on the neck, and it doesn't quite fit the body. But the beautiful thing about growth is that the body grows up into the head. You might have been watching the World Cup right now, or over the last couple weeks. 
For Eric's sake, I'm going to use Ronaldo as a reference. Ronaldo is a star player for the Portuguese national team, and he's incredible. He's big, he's strong, and he's fast. He's incredibly skilled at what he does. He is a player that has transcended the sport. When you talk about the greatest players, they are now calling him possibly the greatest of all time, and he's already scored four goals in this World Cup. Incredible. Ronaldo is a transcendent player. But imagine growing up as Ronaldo and knowing that you would end up being Ronaldo. How would that affect your understanding of life? How would that impact how you ate, how you exercised, how you did what you were doing in the daily life. You, you could say, well, if I know I'm going to be him, then I'm just going to sit back, take it easy, and just let my body and history take its course. I will be the greatest of all time one day. But we all know that's not how even the most gifted athletes grow into who they are. It takes discipline, hard work, in addition to God-given skill. That's how Ronaldo has grown into being what he is today. But imagine actually being him. Probably none of us have experienced that sort of thing where either in sports or in school or even in your job, you think, you know what? I'm actually better than everyone else here in that particular thing. If you were growing up as Ronaldo, you had multiple moments like that. And you still have moments like that, even on an international stage. But think about this for the church. We're just talking about a transcendent soccer player. Jesus is the transcendent one. He is the one to whom, as Joey was reading before, all things in heaven and earth are growing up into him. He is the one that is uniting all things in himself. He is the king. And we are his body. Do you understand the assurance there? The joy there? The expectation there? Of growth? That you, brother and sister, are not stuck where you are. You may have that besetting sin that you just can't kick. You may be suffering right now. I I heard three separate stories over this last week that just burdened me that you, brothers and sisters, are going through this week. And those are probably just three of many, 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 many more. And I just read them or listened to them and just thought, the weight of the brokenness of this world. You may think, is there any hope beyond? Will I move out of this? The answer is, you are growing up into Christ. You are growing up into Christ. The transcendent one is your head. The transcendent one is our head. So as we're wondering as a church, how do we plant a church in Rogers Park when the first floor of our sanctuary doesn't even fill up on a summer Sunday morning? 
How can we do this? We can't. But we are growing up into Christ, into the fullness of his maturity. Not into the fullness of your own standards of maturity, but into his. That is who we are, church. That is who you are, Christian. That is the culmination of all of human history is us realizing our fullness in Christ. I have an article by Piper in my office pinned up to my um, board. The, the title is The Stupendous Reality of Union with Christ. As only John Piper could put it. The Stupendous Reality of Union with Christ. Church, our growing up into him is part of that. We are united with Christ and our bodies are growing expanding upward towards him. We are growing into the identity that we already have. That was just the first verse. Let's keep going. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are firm in the gospel. That means when the waves of culture, when the waves of society, when the waves of other doctrine try to push us and pull us, and you may be really tired and think, I don't think I'm thinking correctly right now about who I am in Christ. Guess who makes you secure? He does. The church is firm in him. That maturity allows us to no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes that makes us think that the truth, that lies are the truth. This is the gospel that is firmly rooted in us, that produces this maturity. But it's not just about avoiding being blown around, tossed to and fro. It's also, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. We're able to, because we're people that have been forgiven, people that have been redeemed, people that know where our end is in Christ, we can then speak the truth to each other in love. My wife did that beautifully with me this week. I woke up on Thursday morning and my mind was split in, as I told somebody later on, 73 different directions. You ever go there when you wake up in the morning? It felt like 73 different things that I had to get done that day and I had no idea how. And Nat can instantly tell when I'm a man of divided mind and she reached over, put her hand on my arm and prayed for me. Spoke the truth in love to me. You belong to Christ. He's given you work to do today. He's going to give you the wisdom to do what he wants you to do today. And he's going to give us the wisdom to understand what we should do today and what doesn't need to be done today. And by God's grace, he did. She spoke the truth in love to me. 
We are to grow up in every way into him, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So there, there's, no, there's no corner of our church as the body of Christ that is to be unaffected, that is to be untouched, that is to be kept in the shadows. So we can openly talk about, wow, difficult things like political differences that we have. We can openly talk about cultural differences that we may have. We can openly talk about racial issues that are going on outside. We can openly talk about parades that are going on a little bit south of here and be able to get into difficult conversations because we know who we belong to. We know who we're growing up into and we don't have to fear those kinds of things because we are brothers and sisters and we're growing up into our head. Every single part, every way is growing up into him. So let's not keep anything back. We're held together, working together, loving each other. Verse 16, from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a part of that verse that, to me, often when I've heard this text preached or taught, or even just when I've read it, it's kind of been a, a throwaway detail. Not intentionally, but that's just how it goes sometimes. We can look at this and we can say, talk about each part. You know, Paul talks about the body parts a lot in his writings, that we're each individual body parts. But look at what he says here. A, before the body parts, we're joined and held together by every joint. You could have a super buff right arm, but if your right shoulder is out of joint, are you feeling very good? If it's dislocated and hanging down here, it could be the buffest right arm in the world, but it's dislocated and the whole body is feeling pain. We don't often address the reality of the joints that hold together the body. We talk about each of us being body parts, but what are these joints? Well, these joints that hold the body parts together, the Greek for it actually implies teaching. It's kind of the same thing as doctrine. Doctrine is good health, so it kind of gets you aligned again and puts your joints back together. This reality of being joined together at the joints involves teaching. And when it says they're every joint, it's literally the joint of supply. You might not think that your shoulder or your hip or your knee supply much to you, unless those joints are hurting, right? If you've got bad knees or a bad hip or a bad shoulder, you can barely do anything without thinking about those bad joints. Well, listen to what Paul writes in Colossians using this similar language. Colossians 2.9, he says, holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, 
grows with a growth that is from God. See, what we need to see here is that our growth comes from God through Christ. And there's this reality to the joints that the joints are what link the parts together. And if those joints aren't joined together by a gospel of grace, then they don't work properly. Yet we are held together and then we work together. As a body that is well joined, we begin to work together and do the things that God has for us as a church. And the outcome is at the very end of verse 16, building itself up in love. That's a good body. All right? That's a growing body. But how about a healthy body? Did you, did you catch the one missing piece that was there? The missing piece was actually at the very beginning of the passage. A healthy body requires shepherd teachers equipping the saints to serve. If you flip back to verses 11 and 12, and he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, that would be more synonymous with pastors and elders, to equip the saints to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until, and then it just kind of flows out the rest, okay? But the required element, the required agents here, as God is making a healthy body, is that the leadership that he puts in place equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of service, To equip here means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. To make adequate, to furnish completely, to cause to be fully qualified. Adequacy. That's partly why there are so many books. (laughs) Because elders are looking for ways to equip you. And we don't always do it perfectly. You could pray for us in that. We see this as vital to having a healthy body. Scripture tells us that it is. If we don't equip you for doing what God has, by his grace, gifted you to do, as it says a little earlier in the same chapter, then we're just all out of joint. Maybe you could call the the elders or the shepherds the neck because we're under shepherds. And if, if the neck isn't then moving on those things to the rest of the body, Nothing gets done. It's not healthy. It's not growing. It just kind of is. Underwhelming. So what I want to do for the rest of our time, and we're going to kind of fly through it, is actually give you some equipping this morning. If that is one of my jobs... And if that is what is supposed to happen in the church so that you begin to understand more and more of your role, your place, your work of service so that we can be healthy, then you need to be equipped. And I hope that this will equip you some. All right. So I'm going to go through five different questions specifically about disciple making since that's part of our theme together too discipling and equipping. And I'm going to take these questions 
and the illustrations from Trevin Wax's blog where he summarizes a book called The Vine Project. The Vine Project being a follow-up to this book, The Trellis and the Vine. Just to kind of give you a summary of this, The Trellis and the Vine is all about simple church structure where you build necessary structures, the trellis, for the important work that all of the body does together, the vine work, the growth work, okay? And then they came out with a second book called The Vine Project to talk about how to actually put that into practice. So as you can see, I'm not discounting any of this stuff. We just want to grow in wisdom and in actually practically carry some stuff out within the church. We, as elders, when we went on a retreat a couple of weeks ago, we actually went through a couple of sessions from a seminar that um, Colin Marshall did on the Vine Project. Okay, so some of this is from what he offered as well. So first, if, if, if we're being called to make disciples, why make them? Well, the reason that we want to make more and more disciples for the whole world is that the whole of human history, as Ephesians 1 said, is culminating in Christ. He's bringing all things together under his headship. So you see that there in that little pathway, the arrow pointing towards a redeemed people gathered around the risen Christ. That day is still yet to come, praise God. We are growing towards that end. Our path that we're hiking on is going towards ultimately that fully realized path of life. God, in the end, as we talked about before, gets his family back through Jesus. And the the reality of making disciples, the action of making disciples as a church, is the ingathering that God does through his church so that we will all be fully ingathered around the throne of Christ. God is putting that plan into effect as we speak, rescuing people out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son through Jesus' death and resurrection. And we are being transformed. We're growing up into Jesus, to be like Jesus, having a sure and certain future around his eternal throne at the new creation. So, in brief, why make disciples? There's your answer. What is a disciple? If I asked you that question, there would probably be a lot of different answers. What is a disciple? Well, there are followers of Jesus. Does that make us disciples? Was that just back for then, not for now? Or somebody discipled me once, or I tried to disciple somebody else once. It flopped. Um, there are a lot of different discipleship experiences that most of us, many of us, have probably been a part of. But what is a disciple? A disciple specifically is a learner. A disciple is a learner. Can just say learner for me. You say learner? Learner. Maybe our language needs to change a little bit. Disciple is kind of out there, not, not really sure how to nail that jello to the wall. But a disciple is a learner. Okay? A forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. They recognize their dire condition in sin and their deserved coming judgment under God's righteous hand. Yet they flee to Christ and his cross for forgiveness of sin. And by so doing, they commit themselves to obeying him. Living for him in repentance and faith 
for the rest of their lives. This is the journey of faith. This is the path of life. This is what it means to be a disciple, a learner of Christ. Transformational learning is really another way of describing the the totality of the Christian life. So if you see our little man up here, or woman, he's come out of the domain of darkness to the cross. Let me just stop and say this. As, as you hear this and you're evaluating yourself this morning, which, of the side, which side of the cross are you on? If you are still in the domain of darkness, you have never experienced the reality of turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. There is a path of life and it goes directly through the cross of death. through the resurrection of Christ to life for you in him. This person has gone through the cross. His burden has been cut away like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, and he is now a learner, a disciple of Christ. How are disciples made? How does this rescue and redemption happen? The making of disciples is God's work achieved as his word and spirit work through the activity of Christian disciples and in the hearts of those they speak to. So you'll see here the domain of darkness, all of a sudden people have multiplied on that side and the learners have multiplied on the other side, but everybody's still kind of on this path on one side of the cross or the other. So how do people on the right, the L's, the learners, how do they interact with people on the other side of the cross? That's the question here. Well, in the Vine Project, they offer four Ps. And these are ultra, simple, literal, biblical ideas for discipleship. The practical foundation of discipleship. Proclamation of the Word in multiple ways. These four Ps. Prayerful dependence on the Spirit. And people, us, we are God's fellow workers and perseverance step by step. The goal of every form of Christian ministry could therefore be summarized simply as seeking to help each person, wherever they happen to be on that spectrum, to take one step to the right. That's why I referred to Raylan as someone who looks left. Because as the Lord is taking her farther to the right, she keeps looking left for those that are not as right as her. We want to help others make one step to the right through these four Ps. That is, to hear the gospel and be transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son. And then to press forward toward maturity in Christ in every aspect of life by the constant, persevering, prayerful proclamation of God's word by people in his church in multiple ways. Then you see, under the domain of darkness in the kingdom of the sun, you see four E's. Engage, evangelize, establish, and equip. Some people are very far away. They, they may not have even engaged with any Christians or with Christianity. On the whole, that's probably the Syrian family Raylan has been with before they met her. 
Now they have engaged with a Christian. And God gave her the opportunity to evangelize even this last week. Others have engaged with Christians or Christianity in some way, and their next step is to be evangelized. For those who have responded to the gospel in faith and repentance, their next step is to be established as a Christian, to set down roots, to begin to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness, a walk that will continue for the rest of their lives. As Christians are established and grow in love and knowledge, they will become increasingly concerned not only to step to the right themselves, but to help others do so in whatever way they can, to look left. I guess if you're looking at me, to look left. Okay? Look left. They will benefit from being equipped to do so through teaching, encouragement, and prayer. Who makes disciples? It's the joy of all of God's people because we are disciples. He's made us learners of Christ to then engage in making disciples. The Bible teaches that God by his spirit opens the mouths of all disciples to speak the one word of Christ, the gospel. Now we all have varying roles and opportunities and abilities in those ways, but the clear call of the Christian is to speak when God gives the opportunity to speak. The gospel needs to be heard. Correspondingly, a healthy church culture is one in which a wide variety of word ministries are exercised by a constantly growing proportion of the membership of that church. Expository preaching, kind of what I'm doing today, but usually what we do during all the rest of our series is primary in that. We gather together under God's word and he teaches us Christ together. But it also happens in community groups. It's going to happen in day camp this summer. It happens in ESL classes. It happens in gospel life classes. It happens in your one-on-one conversations. It happens when your wife or your husband taps you on the shoulder and says, "Um, you're kind of out of sorts this morning. You're a little disjointed. Can I pray for you and speak the truth and love to you? These are all the organic provision of the head through the joints into the parts so that we are working properly and the beautiful reality is that the body is built up in love. We could answer the question, who makes disciples, by saying, by their preaching, training, and example, pastors equip every Christian to be a Christ learner who helps others to learn in Christ which is what we see there in that summary statement below the arrow. Let me just ask you that question. Are you looking left? As I was praying about this this morning, you you want to come to a place of appropriate application for a church. And I can honestly say that I see so many of you looking left so often. And it's a beautiful thing. You look left to each other. You say, come along with me. Let's grow into Christ together. You look left towards the lost. And you, you do and you speak things that point to Christ. 
That's a beautiful thing. As Paul said to the Thessalonians, this you have been doing, do so all the more. Let's keep doing it. As I was studying through this passage this week and and being challenged and saying, Lord, who is left of me on the other side of the cross? Because for me and my position and my giftings, I will admit to you, it's much easier to help people on this side of the cross to come along with me. But Lord, who's on the other side of the cross? Am I willing to step out in faith and text that one guy that I've been meaning to text for the last two months and I still haven't, even though I know exactly what I'm supposed to say to him? Do you have someone like that in your job, at work? Do you have somebody that needs to have lunch with you this week? Do you have someone that you just need to say, how can I pray for you this week? You seem super burdened. Is there somebody in your family that you've kind of held at arm's length because they just seem unsavable? They are lost in the domain of darkness, never to see the light of the sun, ever. Have you given up on them? Do you pray for them? Even if you are already a left looker, left look all the more. Left look all the more. And may the Lord give us growth. Do it in love. That's how the church is built up, right? If you look left with, with, <clears throat> with animosity, with a certain gospel aggression that is going to somehow yank them through the cross over into the kingdom of the Son, you've got it wrong. You just straight up have it wrong. But is there an aggression Is there an intentionality that will say, and I am going to pray, and I am going to pursue, and I am going to love so fully. I'm going to sacrifice for the sake of their soul. That's loving aggression. That's loving intentionality. May the Lord grant us in grace to have hearts that weep at the loss as we grow into into Christ together. We are full of the Spirit and full of the good news of the gospel. Let us be deliverers of it. Where are disciples made? In every facet and activity of the local church. Sunday church, one way that they describe it in here, is a theater of disciple making. This is where we gather and we are made more and more into learners of of Christ. We learn Christ together. But this is not where we stay. I put local church up there and then I submitted this to be put on the screen. I was like, I forgot the second part. So I'll just tell you the second part. It's in the local church, but it's also in every single aspect of of the domain of darkness. We are the light of the world in Christ to go to every corner, in every corner for the sake of his glory because you never know where he may be gathering them and you get a chance to be part of that gathering, harvesting work. Where are disciples made? They might be made during that lunch hour at work. They might be made on that phone call to your brother-in-law. They might be made in that sweet time with your kids around the word at dinner this week. We learn Christ together and we take our disciple-making into every corner of the domain of darkness. 
I would ask you to continue to pray for day camp. I'm going to be teaching all five days this week in the mornings, and we're going to be just in Genesis 1 and 2. Would you just pray simply this? That kids would see the glory of God and desire to love him. Because I can't explain God tomorrow morning. (laughs) I can't explain God. But God will visit us. And he will share his good news through us, all who work this summer. But that's not the only place within this church. I, I'm looking forward to the, to the fall. Um, I've, I may have mentioned this in services before, but I'll mention it now. We're, we're really hoping that in the fall, we're going to have some discipleship teams for junior high students and for high school students where you could say, you know what? I want to bring some students that are right of me or on the other side of the cross, and I want to be in their lives intentionally in a way where I'm looking left and bringing them to the right. Not that you have to be involved in every single part of youth ministry here at Edgewater, but I just want to be part of a discipleship team that will dedicate to pray and know and love junior high and high school students. Would you consider even now, as we don't have gospel life classes, saying, when it comes the fall, I'm going to come to a gospel life class because I need to be further equipped I need to be further equipped. Would you join a community group if you've not? If you're not, if you're in a community group, would you look at engage, evangelize, establish, and equip, and consider how is your group doing in those four areas? How are you com- or how are you engaging the lost or evangelizing the lost through your group? So we have a growing body, a healthy body, and an active body. Disciples making disciples, learners making learners. As we are are equipped, this should be our goal. That there would be more and more and more of us that join us on the road of sojourning towards the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28. I think Jorge is going to be talking about that next week a little bit with sending. Okay? And in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority, excuse me, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I command. Again, there's the teaching, disciples, methetes is the Greek for disciples, and then teaching is the verb form of it. Okay? But it's interesting because Jesus uses almost the same construction in Matthew chapter 11. So we, we, see, we see this call to go make disciples in Matthew 28. But in Matthew 11, listen to what he says to the disciples. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Very similar to what he says in Matthew 28. But this is the middle of the gospel. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
So he sets this up saying like, all authority has been given to me. He's even saying that here, all things have been given to me in Matthew chapter 11. The outflow of that is there has to be a growing learning understanding that no one knows the Father except through the Son and that the Son does know the Father. And then he concludes this portion with this beautiful invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are you, even as you hope to grow, are you, are you needing rest this morning? Because usually where we go for rest is recreation. Usually where we go for rest is ease and comfort and take the, take the, the foot off the gas for a little bit. Jesus is saying here, I offer rest. But if you pair this up specifically with Matthew 28, what he's saying is I offer rest when you come to me and you learn from me. That's what he says in the verse, next verse. Take my yoke upon you, the idea of two oxen going together to plow a field. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Could it be that part of the reason why you feel, if you do feel this morning, so stressed and harried and put upon and pressured is that you're actually not investing in the kingdom that you've been born into? You might be struggling with sins of commission, the things that you're doing, trying to resist sin, but it's blinding you to the sin of omission. You've been reborn into the kingdom of the Son of God. And he's called you into a calling. You've been remade for this, for this particular work, to look left. Yet if we're not looking left, we're always so self-focused and circumstances-focused. May God, by his grace, pull us out of that and say, come, do you want rest? Come work with me. My yoke is actually easy. You'll experience a rest and a satisfaction that you've been longing, but you'll never know apart from me. You know, there was a man who took the yoke of the cross upon him. He was compelled to. This man's name was Simon of Cyrene. Later on in the book of Matthew, as he's standing as a bystander, as Jesus walks to Calvary, he is compelled by the authority of the Romans and pulled out to carry the cross of Christ, literally to share the yoke with Christ. Was he looking for that? Was he a Jew? Was he a God-fearing Greek? We don't know. He was from Cyrene, which is in northeastern Libya. Nevertheless, by the beauty of God's sovereign call in his life, he pulled him onto the road with Jesus, and he got to experience the redemptive plan of God to unite all things in Christ as he felt the friction of the cross. As he knew the indignation of the spitting 
and insult-hurling crowds as no one else did besides Jesus. I would ask you this morning, do you want to grow? And if you're willing to grow, if you desire to grow, might it be that God is saying you, in faith, I am compelling you to answer my call to make disciples. And it may mean feeling the friction of the cross upon your back. It may mean feeling a discomfort discomfort as a disciple of Christ that you have not felt in quite a while. And there may be a specific person or situation in your life that God is asking you, carry your cross into that. Do you have the faith to do it? Make us more Simons as we follow the path of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you simply do that? Make us more Simons, willing to embrace your cross. Oh God, we, we look to that day, and even today, rejoice in the reality that we are growing up into you. Our end is sure. What, what can man do to us? Oh, Spirit, move in our hearts, in our souls, in our church, in the churches of Chicago in such a way that you grant us a boldness with the gospel to love and speak, to take your yoke upon us, to learn from you and see you gather your children together. Oh, train us in this, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.